I'm amazed. I'm still amazed that these assets have appreciated the way they have without making money. I mean, what, I, I'm old enough that when I went to school, I, I learned that the value of an asset was a discounted value of its future cash flow. But that just doesn't seem to apply to sports. It, 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 it did for a while. I mean, it, it, the, 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 it, when I first got in, teams were selling based upon multiples of cash flow. And then they started selling based upon multiples of gross income. And now they sell based upon how much somebody's willing to pay without, without any rational basis. And it's, it's, it's really over, only over the last five to ten years that, that this irrationality has crept in. The chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, discussing the evaluation of sports franchises at the Milken Institute Global Conference panel this past week. I'm Jeff Meller, along with Brian Hanley. We've been dissecting some of these comments. Now, contrast that, compare and contrast what uh, Reinsdorf said there to brand new Phoenix Suns and Phoenix Mercury owner Matt Ishbia, who recently purchased the two Phoenix franchises for a total of $4 billion. He was on Bill Simmons' podcast, and he talked about his approach to owning sports franchises. I think of things like, how do we make the NBA fan experience phenomenal? How do we dominate that? How do we change the game and get even more global? How do we do things different? Like, like I'm not as focused on valuations. Like money always follows success. And that's how I built my mortgage business and built my life. And so we're going to focus on the fans. We're going to focus on taking care, care of the players. Like what do I got to do to make the players even better, healthier, all these like technology, science, like, and do things at the new level, not thinking like, well, if I do this, we'll make this like, that will follow. I don't even pay attention to it. I'm not selling the team ever. So I don't care if the value is $4 billion forever or $400 billion. It's not going anywhere. And so my focus is on the players, the fans, the experience. And quite honestly, like, I make a good amount of money in my mortgage business. I just want to have fun. This is fun. Like, I want to win. Like, we're going to compete at the Phoenix Suns and the Mercury. There's a lot of uh, progress we make in the women's sports. I'm very excited about that opportunity, the WNBA. So I look at it maybe differently. I don't, I don't have a silver bullet to like solve these things, but I want to make the game better and, and help in any way I can with the players, the fans, and that experience. And I think, you know, the valuations, that stuff will follow. Kind of interesting to hear them back-to-back, back, right, Bri? One man's approach to how he views pouring money into his, you know, I, I don't, we can call it a vanity project, but that almost sounds, you know, dismissive of what Matt Ishbia is trying to do. Because when you look at sports, they're for the cities, you know, kind of like a public trust. Like the city will love and adore you if you can bring a consistent winning franchise to them and they will reward you ham- handsomely. And I think it's interesting to hear Ishbia, the Phoenix Suns new owner, talk about how he's going to approach this. He's not worried about the valuation, whether you deem it realistic or, you know, not. He he doesn't give a damn. He's just going to pump money into this and he'll be because he doesn't intend on selling. No, I mean, and look, Jerry got into baseball with uh, Eddie Einhorn. Jerry grew up a Yankees fan. He was passionate about the sport and, and said the World Series winning a World Series meant more to him than winning multiple championships in the NBA. That's how much he loves the game of baseball. I, I'm not dismissing that. But that said, you hear the new owner of the Phoenix Suns talking about, I'm never selling. I don't care how much money I make. I want to maximize the experience. The money will follow success. Who cares what it's worth? What I paid for it and $400 billion, I don't care because I'm not selling it. 
you never hear that from Jerry. And they do care how much they spend. And again, the food is terrific. They've renovated the stadium. Actually, the state has done that. Again, the state does everything that to make it comfortable because that's part of the lease. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just two ways of approaching it. And I'm not saying throw stupid money at stupid deals, but you look at the, the attendance in the league, the Dodgers sitting there at 47,000, 48,000. St. Louis, even 10 games out, again, their season ticket base is probably most of this, but almost 40,000 on average, even though they're in, they're in the basement. The Yankees, the Phillies, who are in the World Series, uh, how many years ago the Phillies couldn't fill up the ballpark? This money follow, you know, follows success. Up and down, San Diego, which has never seen a mega deal that didn't want to make or a mega contract that didn't want to sign. Mm-hmm. They're averaging 38,000 in a small market. Yeah, Houston, you end up in the postseason, the fans show up and the White Sox, again, sit there at 18,000 announced and on some beautiful Thursday afternoons, 10,000 announced. And there might have been half that actually in the stand. So it's and the experience of the rate is is as good as you're going to find in most ballparks. Right. So yeah. it's not that it's just about how much money do you want to put to solving the problem? And you come off a, a subpar year and say things are going to be different. And you actually reduced the payroll, and you really made no significant. You know, God bless Andrew Bien Attendee. You didn't make any mega moves in the off season to change. It was just the manager and accountability and health was going to be the answer to everything this year. Uh, like it's not, it's not a. Uh, I would say when you look at okay, how do we figure this out? It's not really difficult. The truth is that all that matters for fans is putting a winning baseball team out there, right? Yep. Uh, And however you, if you can figure out how to do that consistently, guess what? They will show up. Back in 2005, the White Sox drew 2.3 million people. The following year, after they had won the World Series, that's when they had the highest attendance ever, 2.9 million. They just missed drawing 3 million people to to guaranteed rate back in 2006 on the heels of winning a World Series championship because they started that season out well. They ended up winning 90 games that year. Now, they didn't make the playoffs, but people were excited because the White Sox won the World Series the year before. It's not really that difficult, right, Bri? It's a pretty easy straight line to draw. You win and people will show up and support your team. That's the truth of it. And however you figure out how to do it, guess what? They will be there to the uh the what's the um the meme take my money, right? Like just just take it. Go yeah. ahead, have it. Um Futurama. Uh just take it. That we will gladly give you your give you our money if you put a winning ball club out there. Now, it's not quite the same because they're in a, a definitely a different market. But the Tampa Bay Rays, as we talked about a lot last weekend, because they were here, they found a way to win. Now, Tampa, that's a whole different market. In Chicago, if the White Sox could figure out oh. how to do what the Rays are doing, they wouldn't. no one would give a damn how much money the White Sox spend. No. Just you, bring you a winner. You wouldn't be able to buy a ticket if you had the start the, the, the Tampa had. But they're, they're, God bless, t- baseball's a rumor in Tampa, and that was supposedly where the White Sox were going. And they're drawing seventeen thousand uh, this year without the with, with the historic start they've had. You know, you go back to the White Sox World Series team. You had Ozzy holding court before games in the dugout. I always said he could charge. You know, should have charged a two drink minimum because he was so entertaining, and just he'd be 
for a half hour, talk not only baseball, whatever, got himself in trouble a few times, but still doing it on the pre and post game at a high level because that's who Ozzy is. You had personalities from the manager. Uh, you know, Don Cooper is a irascible red rear end guy, but he was a personality. The players, certainly there were personalities on that team. I bring this up because Brian McRae told Paul Sullivan, the Tribune, Brian McRae was on the Cubs team in 1997 that went 0-14 to start the season. And they were only interesting until they won the first game because they were going nowhere after that, right? Yep. It was just like, how many can you possibly lose to start a season and bury yourself? And he talked about, similar to the Sox, you know, playing tough teams at the start of the season. The schedule is no friend to them. But he said, you know, we never recovered. We almost got back to 500 maybe six games within 500, but we spent so much energy just trying to get back to 500, make it somewhat respectable that that they used all their energy to do that. He said he's been watching the White Sox, and he said the difference between the Cubs team and this Sox team is the talent is there on the White Sox. And he said they have talent, but they just don't look like they care, which, you know, if the bats aren't going, a lot of times that it looks like you don't care. Mm-hmm. He said something's going on there that's festered. It looks like they don't even like being around each other. How much is a likable team? And, you know, winning is fun. Ozzy said, fun is winning. Winning is fun. I get that. But I've asked people around the team. Tim Anderson doesn't seem like, you know, your idea of a a lot of laughs. And that's just who he is. I mean, he cares about being the best player he can. People say he's not very likable. I've never met him. I don't know that. But. How much does that come into play? You have to care about the players you're rooting for. And if they're this bad, even personalities, we talked mm-hmm. about Liam, what a great story that is. God bless. You know, how can you not root for someone to beat cancer? But Brian McRae saying they don't look like they even want to be around each other. And that started to come out at the end of last season from the players and people in the clubhouse saying there were clicks and everyone wasn't together. And now they come by, you know, start the season the way they start this, this year. And it's just not, I mean, it's for me, and not being a diehard Sox fan by any stretch, even watching it, it's just not enjoyable to watch. And I don't know that there are a lot of guys on that team that I necessarily believe I could root for or want to sit down and have a beer with. Maybe that's stupid way of looking at things, but I think that goes hand in hand with being a fan. You want to like the guys you're rooting for, right? You don't want them to be guys who appear not to care or are just happy the, the direct deposit works every week. I would agree with that in a sense, but I do think more than anything else, like fans just want to go out and like, it's, we just want to support a winner. And you, you know, if I see, I don't know. I, I, I disagree a little bit because I think likability comes from when guys are winning and guys you're rooting for are performing on the field. I think when guys aren't performing at a level where they're helping to provide winning baseball or winning basketball or winning football, it's very easy for people to turn on them and whether they like them or not. Like, and so that's, and not every person's like that, you know, that we all have our own opinions on how we approach this thing. Sure. Um, you know, so everything's a little bit different, but I think if you just win somehow, some way, we're pretty callous when it comes to that. There's a lot to talk about. We got a lot of people on the line who want to talk about this. 312-332-3776. Al, Dan, you, everybody else. Hang tight. We'll get to you in a moment here on ESPN 1000. Listen to us now live on the ESPN Chicago app. 
This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. ESPN 1000 until 11 o'clock today. White Sox baseball, 2.30 pregame as the Sox finish up their series with the Cincinnati Reds today in Cincinnati. Cubs get going at 1.20. They will take on the defending Cy Young Award winner, Sandy Alcantara, who has not pitched like a Cy Young Award winner this season at all, Bri. He, uh, he has struggled mightily. He pitched very well in his first start of the season, and then since then, He's been an absolute disaster. He brings in an ERA over five today. So uh, we'll see what the Cubs bats do against the defending National League Cy Young Award winner today. Yeah, here's hoping they can take advantage of uh, continuing struggles and he doesn't revert back to being Cy Young guy. So. And we'll, we'll see if uh, Miguel Amaya gets to sing again today. Go Cubs, go! Go Cubs, go! Meller and Hanley here on ESPN 1000. Let's try Al, who's in Portage Park. Hey, Al, what's going on, man? Hey, good morning, fellas. What's Thanks up? Thanks for taking my call. Our pleasure. Uh, so, so I wanted to, to uh, uh, chime in on, on Jerry Reinsdorf's comments recently. And since it's Derby weekend, I want to tie it into horse racing um, uh, for a second. So, you know the famous saying when someone shows you who they are, believe them? Mm-hmm. All right. Certainly. I think Jerry Reinsdorf has done that for decades with both franchises, you know, here in Chicago. He's shown us who he is and, and, and how the teams are managed. And then uh, his comments this past week that you guys have been playing, he tells you who he is. Mm-hmm. I mean, so Jerry really let the cat out of the bag, um, and uh, he tells you who he is. So as a fan, I think you just have to take the information for what it is and then decide – you know, what you want to do with that or mm-hmm. how you want to go about it as being a fan. And um, my tie in the horse racing was uh, was this. So what Jerry did this this week reminds me of Dwayne Lucas. I was watching an interview with him a few years back, and Lucas is getting up there in age, and they asked him how did he pick horses and whatnot. And Lucas said, ah, hell, I'm up there in age. I'm just going to tell you some things. <laughs> and he, he said, you know, some of the things that he would look, look at during these auctions, which were really top secret for him, you know, but he's up there in age, and... I don't know, had a senior honest moment and, and, and start spilling the beans. And I feel like Reinsdorf, you know, did the same thing this week. Hmm. Interesting uh, takeaway there, Al. Um, and, and I guess, the Brian, the thing we haven't hit on just yet, uh, he's not always showing us, though, because we're learning about secret extensions that yeah. uh, he's giving to his executives. That seems to be, I don't know when it officially became the M.O. of the White Sox and Bulls, but they don't like telling you anymore when they are signing their current leaders to contract extensions and brand new contracts. Because it sounds like Artarish Karnaschovas received one uh, courtesy of the Athletics' Darnell Mayberry's reporting. He mentioned that earlier this week in one of his pieces that it sounds like AK has received a contract extension. And I know a lot of Bulls fans were not happy about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes sense. If you're going to extend the coach, then the the guy who's... His boss should be able to, if he has that authority, should be sticking around too, even though the 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 honeymoon period is long over. And I guess we're now just all pegging the Bulls' uh, immediate future either on defying a 1.8% chance to be the top pick in the draft or Patrick Williams being the exact player that AK believes him to be, even though he's been around for three years. Either one, I, I don't know that I'd want to hang my hat on, on either one of those. 
I, I, I mean, I, I don't get, you know, I get sometimes it's stay out of socks business or, you know, Rocky works telling people, you know, if you were in the company, I'd tell you, but you're not. So don't ask questions. Um, it goes back to, again to, to what, what's the, what's the end game for the bulls. They have now tripled down on continuity and, uh, you know, apparently Vooch is coming back because you didn't trade him. If he does, if it's up to him, he's a free agent. So he has to, one, like the money, mm-hmm. uh, two, like the money, and three, maybe like the plan. But he likes the money. He'll probably stick around. And and are you going to go get Michael Conley? Who, I mean, who who's going to be the guy you get to, to hold you know hold the, down the fort until Lonzo comes back, if he ever comes back? And yet everyone's getting new paper. Uh, has, has Billy Donovan developed anybody on this roster that I'm unaware of? Not that I can pinpoint. I mean, he's... He, you know, look compared to Jim Boylan, of course you're going to want Billy Donovan sticking sure. around. But you're a sub 500 team this year. For a half a season, you were everyone's beloved Bulls uh, last year until Lonzo got hurt. And again, the thing jumped the tracks in short order, and mm-hmm. you stumbled into the playoffs and the quick exit. And now you're waiting for Lonzo yet again. Maybe another season, maybe never. And yet everyone gets new paper. Lock them up. Long-term extensions for everybody. Let's try Daniel, who's in Highland Park. Daniel, you're on with Meller and Hanley. What's up? Well, thanks for taking my call. I think the Sox, going back to them, uh, it's two things that have a percentage. I'm not saying it's everything, but two things that keep weighing on my mind. One is the health issue. I think we can't sweep that under the table entirely. It has to be part of it because here and there, we're always losing a part. That's usually essential. The second thing, I think, we're still under the Reinsdorf effect. He was a cooler. The, if you ever saw the movie The Cooler with William Marcy, that sure. he cooled William off. H. Macy, yep. <laughs> Macy, right, exactly. And he was a cooler in Las Vegas to someone who was doing well. That's what Reinsdorf did to that dugout when he came in. Before that... Daniel, you mean La Russa, were, right? You mean when, when Reinsdorf hired La Russa? Well, exactly it. And... It's the same thing to me, Reinsdorf and Larusa, uh, because it just cooled off the dugout. And they were doing so well before that, they were a team. But then again, as you say, sometimes the health would go away, and, and then what? You don't have one of the sparks. Mm. It's No, it's an interesting point. Like, it, it does. The, I think the problem with the Tony Larusa hiring, and back to a, another Reinsdorf comment from this past week, something we didn't play yet, but the, uh, Reinsdorf talked about you can't become a fan if you're the owner and start meddling. You have to let your general manager uh, and your coaches do the decision-making. And, of course, that omits the fact that clearly Jerry Reinsdorf was the one who hired Tony La Russa, his <laughs> old friend, probably despite Rick Hahn's best efforts, right? Like, we all know that Rick Hahn, and he showed us in the introductory press conference when he talked about how this is the decision the organization is making, they be- the organization believes Tony La Russa is the best man for the job. He never really said, yeah, he, uh, I yeah, believe. It, yeah, he said it has been determined yes. or something, paraphrasing, but it was like, this is my guy and I can't wait to get to work with him. But, but Tony did it. The, the concern going in was Tony was going to be sought out of touch with young players. Yes. And, and, you know, we can question his managerial in-game strategies and th- but he bent over backwards Absolutely. to run interference for players. He told Luis Robert and guys not to bust run the rear hard. end to get yeah. to first because you could hurt yourself if it looks like a routine out. He, 
he defended, he got, anytime there was a, a question of any kind of negative uh, connotation to it in the post game, he went off. I mean, he, he was not hearing any of it. He, he was, he was there for every single player to a fault to make sure that no one questioned want to effort, talent, whatever it was. And yet it, it, it never translated to a successful month or two, let alone a season. Yeah, I, I maintain. Look, I don't think Tony Larusa. The first year he was here, they were in the playoffs and they ran into a buzzsaw that was the Houston Astros. Um, that was a better team, right? Like, I think the problem is that when you hired Tony Larusa, you thought you had a team that was quote ready to win, right? But the reality was they were still a few pieces shy of being truly competitive with the elites in baseball, at least in my opinion. And I think that showed itself in the playoffs. And then when you have the opportunity to maybe try and add some reinforcements to the roster, you choose to decline, you know, offering Carlos Rodon, you know, a qualifying offer, you know, which whether or not you think you, maybe you were up in the air about it, but the truth was he was coming off a ridiculous season where I thought offering him $17.1 million was probably the prudent move because if another team wanted to come in and sign him, you would have been given a compensatory draft pick. And worst case scenario, you've got Carlos Rodon, who just had an awesome season, back on your roster for $17 million, and he has to go prove yet again that he should be worth the free agent the big money deal that he eventually did land from the Yankees this past offseason. Like, you know, that's when we get back to spending money and, you know, truly being all in on winning, right? And back to the comments about, you know, second, third place can be a successful season. That's where you start to get disenchanted, disillusioned with um, sometimes the White Sox as a team if you're a fan of them. Yeah, and, and look, they didn't overwhelm Manny Machado with an offer, right? Yeah. And and you needed to overwhelm Manny Machado with an offer because that's where you're, you're kind of where you were in the scheme of the baseball landscape, right? Yep. And he chose it wasn't good enough. And so if you and can't... And they were in the same thing. They were in on Bryce Harper that same offseason. And you, know? you bring up Bryce Harper, the caller says it's about health. And, and you have to, okay, we all understand the numerous injuries and length of injuries and myriad of injuries last year. I kept saying last year, I don't see Bryce Harper on the injury list. You didn't have, I mean, God bless you, don't want to miss Aloy or Luis Robert or up and down. But you didn't have an MVP guy sitting out on the sidelines, right? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. Injuries know, like are a, part of professional sports. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I go back to the Lonzo Ball with the Bulls. He's important to this team, but as a as a bull, uh, as a NBA executive said to me, I get that he's important to the Bulls. That important? Yeah. I mean, how does that even work? And it, it it's, just it, it shouldn't be it shouldn't be so dependent on that. And again, their their health issues were not. You weren't missing a Cy Young candidate for two months, and you couldn't wait yes. till he got back. It's the length of time too, right? Like you're again professional sports. You're going to have to account for. There's going to be times when you're going to be playing without some of your better players for you know a couple of weeks here and there. You need to have a team that has enough depth that it can withstand that. And if you don't, it's going to be made very apparent very quickly. But that's the nature of professional sports. I'll grant you, it's different when you lose a key player, an MVP candidate for a full season, or as you mentioned, one of your top starting pitchers, when you use for multiple months. That is sometimes an injury that can't be overcome. But a couple weeks here and there, 
you have to be able to have alternative plans. Otherwise, you're just not going to be successful in sports. Let's try Tim, uh, who's on I-65. Tim, you're on with Mellor and Hanley. What's going on? Good morning, guys. Yeah, I was in Cincinnati last night for that game. I was in southern Indiana visiting family, and mm-hmm. uh, we went over and saw a game. Uh, quite a few Sox fans there. It was, it was nice to see Sox fans. But a couple things you guys touched on. I'm a season ticket holder. You talk about the fan experience there. I don't care. I really don't. Sell me hot dogs, beer, peanuts, pop. That's good enough. I just want to see a product that hustles, mm-hmm. plays the game smart, and is competitive. And I don't get any of that. I don't care about you know being able to get a sushi burger or any of that stuff. Show me a team that hustles and plays hard, and you got my money. I'm there. I don't care about all that other stuff. No fans do. We want to see the product on the field perform at a high level and play smart. The other thing is, you talk about the chemistry in the clubhouse. Something that kind of happened in the offseason, nobody really paid attention. A.J. Pollock had a miserable year last year, but he had an $8 million player option. Yeah. If he wanted to play for the Sox, he takes $8 million and they got to pay him. He tr- declined that option, hardly shopped around, and immediately signed for $7 million with Seattle. He was willing to take a million-dollar pay cut to get away from that locker room. And that says a lot about what's going on with that team. So you guys have a great day. Thanks for your time. Thanks. Great Thanks, call. Tim. It's a great. No, it's it's a great point. Um, I, I think Tim's one of the passionate people out there. You know, to his point where he'll be in the ballpark most. You know, a couple times a year, no matter what. He's a season ticket holder. But like, it, you know, and we, if you love baseball and you love your team, you're willing to go to plenty of games out there. Just. Make it so I don't regret being there, right? Like that's and that's to your point, Bry. Sometimes likability from your players and playing hard is is enough for some people out there. Yeah, in this city, effort is everything. We all want to win championships, but Chicago being Chicago, those championships were hard to come by. Name the sport for all all these decades, and and having been born and raised here, I mean, I had Cub season tickets before I got out of college and became a sports writer. And on a beautiful Saturday afternoon, <clears throat> summer, 75 degrees, sunny, when they're drawing like 20,000 people, I couldn't give those tickets away. Literally, you know, people yeah. want to go cut their lawn. They certainly rather go play golf or do whatever, but rather do yard work than sit 10 rows back of the, of the Cubs batting circle, right? I mean, mm. that tells you, but if you get the, whether it was the tryhard Bulls, um, some Bears teams that were, we had good, you know, earnest professional players that just weren't good enough because they didn't have a quarterback. Um, certainly, you saw it with the before, you know, Kane and Taves became Kane and Taves. You saw that kind of organically grow with the Blackhawks. People want just want to, they want to see an effort. They want to see want to. They want to see talent. But to our caller's point, the the game experience does matter. If you're going to any to the old Wrigley before renovations and concrete was dropping on your head, you probably had a little bit of issue. And you know the steam dogs have been sitting there since the beginning of the homestand. Yeah, you know that is part and parcel, especially with the prices you're paying these days. But no one's ever questioned the, the fan experience around the Sox game and and the the food and drink and all that. But to our caller's point, if you don't have a team that does looks like they're going to give you enough effort to get to the last month of the season and be contending and in it to Jerry's point, then everyone's happy. That, that's huge. That's a huge void. This town appreciates effort and demands it. If they think people are going through the motions, they got no time for you. Bears had a chance to get their rookies into the building this weekend. Bears first rookie minicamp went off. We'll share with you what Luke Getze had to say about 
why the Bears chose to stick with Justin Fields and not entertain some of the quarterback prospects in this draft. I'll let you hear from Luke Getze next. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. Jim Lexa points out, Bri, that uh, Tony La Russa defended everybody but your mean Mercedes, whom he hung out to dry. Always appreciate Jim listening. He's a longtime loyal listener, and he is right. That's the one person who La Russa yeah. would not defend. Yeah, yeah, one he, player. He, yeah. The the young uh, hot the player went against the old unwritten rules of showboating or trying to hit home runs when the game was already in hand. Remember, he undressed the kid. Oh yeah. Yes, who could forget in Minnesota? Not uh, That was the one down moment of that season that uh, was, for the most part, a very fun, fun season. 312-332-3776. I'm Jeff Meller along with Brian Hanley. The Bears had their first rookie minicamp of the 2023 season. Luke Getze met the media yesterday, and for I'm sure plenty of people will recall that Ryan Poles talked about when the Bears initially found out that they had the number one overall pick that they would have to be, quote, blown away by the quarterback prospects in the draft if they were going to go ahead and draft one and move away from Justin Fields. But he left the door open, right? So Luke Getze was asked about this yesterday. So what happened in the evaluation process when you were looking at this year's quarterbacks in the draft? You know, you're, you're Bryce Young. Your C.J. Stroud, your Anthony Richardson, even your Will Levis. What happened when you compared them to Justin Fields? This was Luke Getze's response yesterday. I, I don't really think it's apples to apples in that sense. I really don't think you say, okay, hey, here's where we have adjusted and where he can go, or here's where these guys can go. I think it's just you're doing your due diligence with, with the, the draft as we do with every single position. But I think it was, it's, you know, as we evaluated Justin um, from last year, I think the, the growth from where – you know, everybody, in, in including yourselves, like how the way you viewed the guy and the way the team viewed the guy to where where he was at this time last year to where he is now, I think it just is, is light years ahead of where it was. And we feel like he has a, a, a ton more to grow going forward. So we're excited to try to get that, the best out of him moving forward and uh, keep working to where we think he can go. So very honest assessment from Luke Getze talking about him believing that Justin Fields is light years ahead of where he was previously now the caveat of course is that despite the successful season Justin Fields had running the football where he had 1,143 rushing yards the second most in NFL history for a quarterback he still only had 2,242 yards passing and so Luke Getze was asked all right well Justin was amongst the least productive passers last year. So are you confident that he can improve? This was Luke Getz's response. The yards that he ran for, a third of those came off of pass plays that were scrambles that he decided to run, which is an element that you know we're fortunate to have with him in, the, in, in, in that position. So, And then it goes to everything, right? Getting the team around him better and uh, us all being together for another year and the continuity that we have and the communication that he and I have. Um, you know, where we were to kind of at the beginning of the season to the end of the season, I think, is, is a lot better. And so we're, we're hoping to build off of all that stuff. I think anytime you can be together with somebody, um, 
uh, and, and keep that consistency, there's going to be growth, and he has a lot more growth ahead of him. Um, and we're, we're excited to tap into that. Consistency, almost a synonym for continuity, Bry. Yeah, and, and look, whether those runs were broken down past plays and, and that's a talent that we all know Justin has, that's wonderful. But he was last among NFL starters with 149 and a half yards, passing yards per game on average. And they were 23rd in points scored per game at 19.2. So I guess it's great Darnell Wright's on, on the uh, right side of the offensive line, and it looks like he's going to be a keeper. Mm-hmm. Time will tell. Well, you'd hope, it's, right? <laughs> it's great they got DJ Moore, and, and you know obviously you need people for Justin Beal to throw to. The idea that Ryan Poles believes that Justin has everything he needs now, I hope that he doesn't really believe that. I mean, I, I, I would ask you, Jeff, how much improvement do you need to see and how do you even quantify it? If, if he's now middle of the pack in passing yards per game, that's a significant leap. Is that enough? I mean, how many points per game do you have to see an increase to make it you know, eye-popping or eye-catching in a division that appears now to be open it, uh, because of, of Aaron Rodgers' final departure out of Green Bay? It's a great question. I don't I can't put a specific number on what Justin Fields will have to register for me to be sold. I think the Bears have showed us though in their actions this year, they're leaving open the possibility there's an escape hatch there for getting off of the Justin Fields being your quarterback in 2024. Bears fans may not want to hear that. I don't think I don't think the Bears are leaning in any particular way. I think it's almost a 50-50 situation right here. Justin Fields needs to show more improvement this year. They've And is this, I don't know if he's got everything around him to be a Super Bowl contender, right? But it's certainly better. I think everything they've added to the roster offensively looks a lot better on paper sure. than it did just one year ago. And so if we take Luke Getzey at his word where he's talking about Justin Fields being light years ahead than where he was last year, then yes, there's all the opportunity now for him to really show people he's capable of being a franchise quarterback. But I don't think the Bears are completely sold. Like if he doesn't, show that he can read from the pocket and dissect what he's seeing and actually take advantage of what DJ Moore is going to give him as a security blanket. You know, take advantage of Tyler Scott as somebody who they're bringing in to be an explosive player. Um, Darnell Mooney needs to get back healthy, but like he needs to show that with Mooney and Claypool, he can get the most out of them as well. And oh yeah, Komet and Robert Tunyon, You've got guys now who are professionals, right? Like, I think they're, they're capable NFL players. Like, I still need more from the, you know, from the talent positions around him. But if Justin Fields is going to be an elite quarterback in this league, I think there's enough here to know it next year when the season wraps up. Now, yeah. whether that's 3,200 passing yards, I would hope that's kind of like the minimum of where we're at next season, right? But I don't know but, if he needs to crack 4,000 necessarily. Well, to your point, you're talking about not only picking up the, the final option year on his contract, rookie contract, but mm-hmm. you're going to have another high pick next year. And if you've come to the conclusion that he's not a franchise quarterback, you have to move on. Yeah. You have you have to utilize that high pick to be in a position to go out and get the next quarterback of the future. And here's hoping he is the guy. I, I still believe he is, but yeah, I'm with you. You have to see significant improvement, even if it doesn't necessarily translate into hard numbers. Yeah, it has to be the eye test from game one through game 17. You have to see him 
not only getting better individually, but lifting the play around him and making the right decisions and, and doing the right things and being a more consistent operator of that offense to the point where breaking 21 points isn't a task that you don't think can be done on a weekly basis. Yeah, because the escape hatch is the two first-round picks next year. If Justin Fields and the Bears don't have – if they have a middle mid-round pick because they're a little bit better, but they don't end up you know in the top 10 or whatever – or and then you couple that with the fact that they've also have the Panthers first round pick. That is your opportunity to move up in the draft and try and get into whether it be the Caleb Caleb Williams or Drake May sweepstakes. If you're not sold on Fields, that's your escape hatch next season. You've got multiple first round picks. You can also use a first round pick from the following season. After that, you can package a lot of stuff to move up in next year's draft. If you find out after the end of the season, Justin Fields is not the guy. But no matter what. This is the season where the Bears need to come to a final determination on Justin Fields, whether Bears fans like to hear that or not. 312-332-3776. When we wrap things up here next, Brian's got an interesting story about yesterday's Kentucky Derby winning jockey. And I'll tell you why tomorrow night could be a very momentous occasion in one Chicago sports franchise's history. I'll tell you about that. Brian tells you about the jockey next. And they're into the stretch, and two fills has turned for home on top. Keeps Barnes, here's Mage, coming struggling down the outside. Angel and Empire is putting it in one, and there's one for London on Two fills on the inside, trying to hold on Mage. Mage has taken the lead here as they come into the final 16, and it is going to be Mage to win the Kentucky Derby. ESPN 1000, Mage wins the 149th Kentucky Derby. And the jockey has a personal connection, or I guess, Brian, you have a personal connection with the jockey of the winner of yesterday's 149th Kentucky Derby. Yeah, and speaking of jockeys, first, uh, a tip of the hat to Jareth Lubberry, who was on two fills, who made a a courageous move on the rail. I don't even know how he got through there. Two fills, a Hawthorne horse, uh, Illinois Connections. Um, would have been a great win and a great story, but I mean, just uh, for a young jockey who's overcome a lot of injury and a lot of heartache, and was actually commuting once they shut down Arlington, was commuting down to uh, tracks in um, Kentucky while his family's lived up here because they love living up here and just bought a house. I mean, talk about perseverance at a young age. But Javier Castellano, yeah, you know, just like the the Phoenix Suns new owner talk, mm-hmm. you don't get into horse racing to make money. You get in to lose money, but you get into it for the experience. And you know, I've been blessed to to get to know Eddie O over the years, covering him with the Hawks and the Rangers. And we always talked about getting a horse together, and we actually did it one time. Mm-hmm. And then the first horse I had, who's your drama? And because Eddie O is Eddie O, Edzo got Todd Pletcher to train um, our horse. And I uh, love that horse. He's my avatar on my Twitter feed. Hmm. Um, but Javier was the, the jockey that broke the Hoosier Dramas Maiden. But even before that, Kentucky Oaks Day, we believe we had a horse with some promise because he showed it at Gulfstream. So we put it, ship him to, to uh, Louisville. And I'm down there on Kentucky Oaks Day on um, May 6, 2016. By the way, happy bladed anniversary because you got married on Derby Day. Hmm. Thank um, you. And Javier is on Who's Your Drama, 
and Edsel's down there doing broadcast for NBC, and I get there early, and I'm sitting there from 9 a.m. with the last race on the card, at the race immediately after the Kentucky Oaks. And Javier Cassiano wins the Kentucky Oaks the first time he won the Oaks, just like yesterday at 45 was the first time he won the Derby. And as Randy Moss said, you're not going to find a nicer guy in horse racing than Javier Castellano, mm-hmm. and I swear to that. But Javier's on Hoosier Drama. Edzo and I are waiting toward the finish line, you know, waiting for the end of the race. Hoosier Drama, like Mage, is a closer, is going to make his move in the stretch, and made a move, but not nearly like he did, and we, we were not sure what happened. Javier comes back to us after the race and said, sorry, boss, I lost the stick. I'm like, I didn't even understand what he was saying. Yeah, and yeah, he's, yeah. he's snapping the uh-huh. rubber band on his wrist. He went to twirl the, the whip in the air before he hit Hoosier Drama, and the, the whip went up, and it went oh. down into the grass. He never touched him. And then he was giving him a hand ride, if my, I may say. <laughs> and he got he ended up like fifth or sixth. But I'm like, you're Javier Bleeping Castellano, a Hall of Fame jockey. How did you lose the stick? But that's horse racing. Yeah, and you never know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen, and sometimes it happens to be great, and sometimes it's heartbreaking. And speaking, I mean, horse racing is horse racing is all about the connections and the stories and everything else. If you want to be moved, if you didn't watch the eight hours of coverage yesterday, Google the the story about Cody's wish and, yes. and make sure you have a box of Kleenex next to you. I will echo that uh, as we rush off here. Less than a minute to go. Thanks to Kendra Smith for producing us today. As always, great job by her. Do you want to mention could be a huge day for the Blackhawks tomorrow. It is the NHL draft lottery tomorrow at seven o'clock on ESPN. They have a 22 percent chance to land in the top two. And, of course, everybody has been watching Connor Bedard play all season. He's the huge prize. They have an 11.5% chance to land the number one pick, an 11.2% chance to fall in the top two spot. Adam Fantilli, also a very good player. So cross your fingers, Hawks fans. Let's hope they can win the lottery and get themselves a Connor Bedard. Brian, talk to you next week, my man. We will uh, do it again very soon. All right. Thanks, Jeff.